23 minutes it is after 7 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the mighty Metro. And uh, we kick things off by taking a look at the latest out in the markets and in company news. Akona Mlamleli, portfolio manager out at 27.4 Investment Managers, is our guest. Akona, good evening to you and welcome. Good evening, Ayabonga, and to the listeners this evening. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Can't complain, Unjanwen. No, I'm good, thank you. Thank good, you very much good, for having good, me this good, evening. Good. Let's start off here. New ad rules for crypto. Um, many... Uh, Many people, I guess, who are listening to us uh, might have uh, gotten the short end of the stick, uh, promised all manner of returns, um, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I guess their money going out in a cloud. Um, mm-hmm. Talk to us about, I guess, what, what these new rules will achieve um, insofar as aligning expectations uh, of the investors with, uh, I guess, the volatility often associated with cryptocurrencies. Yeah, so I think it's a step in the right direction, particularly coming to crypto assets. So the Advertising Remington Report um, has been in consultation with a number of the African crypto exchanges, mm. um, which also spearheaded the, particularly this project. Um, so the board um, coming up with a, a few avenues and codes to protect consumers um, by adding a few codes um, to the code of conduct um, for advertising practice. Um, some of these new rules um, will take effect um, in the next few days or so, um, but some of these updated codes include um, clear communication, um, particularly pertaining to um, crypto um, products. Um, so this clear communication um, needs to be very visible and mm. clear to the ordinary consumer um, about the loss of capital value that could be um, experienced, particularly from investing in such a product. Um, and also the communication also needs to be understandable um, and particularly to the targeted organ, um, audience. Um, and also um, elements of such as returns and projections and forecasts um, must be very adequate and substantiated. Um, and you'll recall a number of these crypto um, exchanges and products make use of influencers or ambassadors mm. um, who are used to promote um, the crypto products um, because of this particularly the advertising board indicated that when these people do um, obviously communicate um, through their platforms, social media and so forth, um, the information needs to be factual information only. Um, we've seen um, particularly globally the loss of FTX um, by Sam Bankman fried who's obviously currently going through this case mm. at the moment, where um, a lot of influencers, entertainers and sportsmen, um, such as your um, Steph Curry um, there by the Golden State Warriors and also um, the American footballer Tom Brady, mm. um, who were uh, used as ambassadors, but also who also made investments, um, who unfortunately uh, it has gone sour, um, particularly for them. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, you know, this is in the first instance about protecting consumers, but also as the uh, industry is also saying, self-regulation often is able to distinguish between those who might have, I guess, proper ad regulation, uh, which might be a proxy for other things, you know, uh, depositors insurance and other safeguards for people who would invest, uh, as opposed to those who might, you know, I guess go beyond some of the parameters of this of these regulations um, and might not necessarily have those protections in place for any depositors or investors. Yeah, so correct. And I, and I think it, it was very much um, pivotal that um, the industry and particularly um, these SA crypto exchanges um, were part of the whole project. Um, because they obviously know the ins and outs, particularly of this um, new and upcoming industry um, that has obviously taken particularly um, a, new duration, a new generation by storm. Um, mm. So in obviously educating and also the older generations um, who are maybe quick to believe um, um, in these um, 10% monthly um, returns, um, 
which obviously could be misleading uh, at times and obviously create very much uh, pain, particularly financial constraints um, down the road. Yeah, yeah. Let's shift our attention, I guess, away from that story and uh, check in with um, the latest coming out of the Clicks Group and a uh, very interesting um, group here involved in sort of a pharmaceutical product distribution, uh, fashion, beauty. Well, maybe not fashion, but beauty, um, mm-hmm. health and care. And uh, yeah, I guess the first set of... Um, you know, close to interim numbers uh, where you don't see the massive top-line contribution of COVID-19 vaccinations. Just out of interest for the benefit of our listeners, in the corresponding 20-week period, now this is uh, 20 weeks through to the 15th of January, which was sometime mm-hmm. last week, um, in the same period when we compare it to 2021-22, in uh, that year, they made 685 million rand from vaccinations. And if we compare it now to the 22 23 20 weeks uh, to the end of 15 uh, January, uh, they only made 4 million. So um, not even, I Mm. guess, a percentage of what it is that they made um, in the last year. And it speaks volumes about um, to what degree the pandemic contributed, uh, you know, to the revenue mix of entities like Discam, Clicks, and many others who are administering them. Yeah, correct. So as you've mentioned, um, Ayabonga, Clicks being one of the biggest brands, particularly in the SA Healthcare and the FMCG space, um, coming out with, with the numbers for the 20 weeks um, ending mid-Jan um, of last week, mm-hmm. um, indicating there that the likes of your Black Fridays and the, and the festive season um, contributing handsomely, um, particularly to the um, retailer um, in delivering some of these double-digit growth, growth that they have seen in the, in the 20 weeks. Um, like you said, um, the COVID, um, particularly revenue and sales, has come down quite considerably, um, although Clicks did report an increase in sales and market share um, despite the drop in income from COVID-19 vaccinations um, at some of the SA and, and also the shopping patterns um, coming to return to pre-pandemic levels. Um, so that, um, in terms of the sales excluding vaccinations, that was up 12.2% year-on-year, um, despite um, some of the many challenges um, that is faced by a number of businesses, um, then indica- I'm highlighting the lost trading hours due to load shedding that um, did take place, um, but also indicating that excluding vaccinations, um, sales um, did rise by 8.9%. Um, so they are quite a very much uh, quite a high-quality company, and I think the business, particularly in 2020, um, at the height of the COVID um, pandemic, um, you've seen particularly this company um, being resilient, um, particularly during that market, um, and also currently in this market that we're currently in with high inflationary period, um, and also very much a constrained consumer um, whose disposable income has unfortunately um, decreased. Mm-hmm. And I guess the, the the other question, of course, some of the more long-standing supplier contracts, um, insofar as their distribution business is concerned, strong double-digit growth there. What might have accounted for that? Yeah, so the United um, Pharmaceutical Distribution, uh, rather, um, the Clicks Medicine um, Distribution Unit um, was able to report a total managed turnover about 9.9%. Um, this was um, as a result of new um, contracts and also growing um, um, existing client base. Um, but I think one of the biggest contributors, um, Ayabonga, um, has been the growth trajectory that we've seen um, clicks embark on. Um, so we've seen um, the company go into um, areas such as your rural areas um, and also saturated markets um, that could have obviously contributed. And you recall they still do have that government contract um, with the Department of Health mm. um, in of distributing over 
just over a million uh, medicine parcels um, on behalf of the department. Um, so that has obviously contributed quite handsomely um, to some of these numbers. Um, and they continue to grow. So um, they have over 850 stores, particularly in the South African market. Um, but I think with the likes of their um, peers, particularly this game, um, who unfortunately um, is coming to the party um, and is starting to eat into some of these um, growth trajectory um, full costs. Yeah, yeah. And and I guess the other issue, just before we leave the, you know, click story here, is, um, you know, they're an entity which over the last while has certainly returned a lot of value to their shareholders. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one wonders whether or not, you know, much of the... Um, intense you know push that came through from vaccines that they got on their um, top line but also i guess some of the high margin segments in their business whether those will recover in the next while and whether you know um, this 20 week update gives us any indicative signs of what they might release in their interim numbers and what things might look like by the end of week 52 yeah so i think the growth profile particularly for um, clicks um, may slow going forward um, but I think what they have started to do is make a lot of their acquisitions. So you recall at the end of last year, um, they um, made that acquisition from the old mutual private equity team mm. and the Sorbet Group, so buying some of that. Um, so I think going for, forward um, in order to um, grow, um, particularly, I'm not, I'm not sure they will grow um, at the scale that this can make grow at, um, but I think they'll need to obviously start making some acquisitions um, because we know um, this came also on their side has been making a lot of acquisitions such as the Baby City, which they did in 2021. Mm. Um, so um, it, it will be a more um, slow growth pattern, particularly for them, um, therefore equating to trading densities, um, reducing particularly on that company. Just the story around trading densities. I mean, I was asking last week, um, is is that something? Is that a metric that all of these retail guys like chase strongly? I mean, I saw Woolworths coming out in their fashion, beauty, and care business saying, you know, uh, um, I guess trading space reductions have you know given them some better, you know, outcomes and so on. Is, is that a big thing, especially in the post-pandemic period, where many of the major retailers are looking, I guess, you know, to uh, maximize the efficiencies out of the space that they use, which uh, would mean, I guess, maybe lower rentals and so on. Correct, and I think also the online, because a mm. lot of the guys um, have very much um, incorporated and made use of the on- online platform um, quite successfully. Um, so you will see particularly clicks um, having that online profile and, and then obviously um, translating that into having a, a, an efficient um, career partnership that they do have with Pargo. Um, so um, that um, is, is very much a, a big indicator, but I think mm. um, the online space is obviously what consumers have also shifted towards um, instead of coming into the stores, um, but obviously opting for that um, um, service rather. Yeah, yeah. As we shift away from that one, uh, let's talk about this issue now coming out of ESCOM, uh, Bidwind of Five Projects, uh, battling, I guess, to um, get some firm confirmation that whatever energy they generate can be transmitted onto the grid, uh, because it seems the existing transmission capacity is, yeah, run, run out maybe. What's happening here? Yeah, so this pertains to about the 23 projects. Um, um, so the African Wind Energy Association um, 
wants to consult um, more experienced um, um, companies or consultants, um, particularly mm-hmm. in managing the grid and advise ESCOM on how to integrate um, some of these wind projects. Um, but they also did indicate that um, they will be seeking assistance um, for the 23 wind generation projects that unfortunately did not make the preferred bidder status mm-hmm. um, in the government's um, REAP project. Um, so a number of these bidders had invested heavily, particularly in some of these projects, um, but unfortunately were left out um, in um, in the grid um, allocation um, because of the conne- connection capacity um, in the grid, particularly in regions such as the northern, eastern, um, and the western Cape. Um, so it is obviously quite a constraint, um, particularly for these invest- um, projects, um, as only five projects were unfortunately selected. Um, so that uh, had obviously originally um, relied on ESCOM's um, generation connection capacity, um, which was published last year. Um, but unfortunately, um, these projects um, will obviously try make it onto the grid, um, these wind projects. But unfortunately, um, currently now, um, they are unfortunately um, out of the preferred bidders. So, so th- how does that make sense, right? I mean, we, we are in the dark right now. Um, And my understanding is that between 2022 and 2031, I think, or something like that, that last year, as you say, ESCOM issued a, you know, transmission development uh, plan, Mm. uh, which would have included many of these former Cape provinces, Northern Cape, Eastern Cape, Mm. Western Cape, where much of the solar and wind projects are to be found. Um, And it does actually, I'm looking at it now, have quite the list here. Um, Mm. Is the issue now that I guess the selection by the IPP office of the projects might not necessarily correspond geographically uh, to where some of the schemes, through Rufir Kuring, through Rufir Substation B, Cape Corridor, Saldana Bay, and a few others, where mm-hmm. all of that transmission investment is planned. Yeah, so it, it looks like particularly for these 23 projects that didn't make it, um, it was a lack of communication. Um, so they're indicating that communication failure um, in terms of the not reserved bidders and, and some of the data that was update, not updated um, regularly. regularly. Um, but we do know, um, reading a report particularly this past weekend, um, if you recall, in November last year, um, ESCOM put the capacity gap at about 4,000 megawatts. Um, and currently um, there's about 12,000 megawatts of solar mm. and wind power projects in the pipeline. Um, 9,000 of that megawatts is primarily being driven by private markets um, for their own clients um, and consumers. And about 3,000 megawatts um, has been um, procured, will be procured um, to process and run by government. Um, so it, it is quite disappointing in terms of how this particular 23 project um, did not make it because we know the constraints and the capacity gap that these particular wind farms could have filled, um, particularly in trying to um, help us particularly in generating enough power. Yeah, hey, seems to me a bit of a coordination problem here. But um, talking, I guess, about uh, renewables, uh, Sasol, uh, that uh, former South African infant industry and now, I guess, uh, global uh, liquid fuels uh, or synthetic fuels producer, um, they uh, signaled today uh, a partnership uh, for just under 100 megawatts of energy with Msang, a wind farm just outside Bedford in the Eastern Cape. Uh, to power the uh, Sasselberg operations and also getting into an agreement with Anal Power uh, for mm-hmm. the Sekunda operations as well in uh, what uh, I guess might be the first signals of uh, preparatory steps being put in place for green hydrogen production. Yeah, so Sasso um, is currently 
um, undergoing, uh, particularly have been receiving pressure um, to reduce um, the carbon emissions, um, particularly at the Secunda plant, which is one of the largest site um, emitters um, of greenhouse gas globally. Um, So they have taken the necessary steps, uh, having put in um, targets um, and obviously bringing in um, supply um, of renewable energy um, to some of these areas that you've spoken about at the Sasselberg site um, and also at the Secunda um, where they've partnered up with Enos, um Green Power um, and also have selected air liquid um, and Sasselberg to build about 220 megawatts of wind capacity um, which will supply the um, Secunda complex. Um, so they are taking efforts um, to um, particularly um, bring forth um, renewable supply, um, particularly in some of the operations, um, indicating also that the power blackouts that we've um, had for over a year, um, and also coupled with a number of bottlenecks um, in the rail and the port, um, have obviously made it quite difficult, um, particularly for um, the fuel producer, um, to provide an accurate um, volume and, 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 and export some of their, their produce um, globally. Akona? Mm. Last one, our lemon juice uh, might soon have some battles making it into the United States market. Correct. So this one um, is quite a one that is quite disappointing, uh, particularly for the citrus um, farmers. So um, initial investigations um, started over a year ago where by the U.S. Trade Commission um, after a complaint was received by um, a company in the U.S., um, Ventura Coastal, um, which is one of two of the U.S. producers um, of lemon juice, um, brought this complaint um, to the U.S. Trade Commission um, alleging um, unfair competition um, pertaining to some of the imports coming from the um, South Africa um, and Brazil. Um, so the investigators um, of the U.S. Trade Commission actually started um, doing a lot of the findings and research last year mm. um, and then finding that there was reasonable indication that um, imported SA lemon juice um, could materially harm the U.S. industry. Um, and the latest, particularly in this development, um, was the um, order that came out, which will be imposing anti-dumping duties mm. on lemon juice yeah. um, from South Africa um, and Brazil. Akwana, we're going to have to leave it here for tonight. Always a pleasure catching up with you. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks very much for having me.